Hi, I'm Cassie Hutton, a mom who sees you, a mom who wants to support you, and a mom who wants to encourage you to do what works best for you, no matter how unusual your parenting style might be. Visit CassieHutton.com to learn more. You can also order the book, Finding Freedom, A Personal Exodus from Deception to Identity on Amazon. And something new I've written this year is a made whole inner healing study. It's not available on any book platform. I offer classes to go along with the curriculum at times throughout the year. So reach out to me on Facebook or email me at CassieHutton27 at gmail.com for more information. If you felt stuck and can't figure out how to move forward from past hurts, traumas, lies, and old belief systems, then this class is for you, especially if you're feeling stuck in your parenting. Everyone needs to go through inner healing at some point in their journey. Leaders in the church are especially sure to need to go through inner healing at some point. You deserve freedom and victory so you can help the next person find theirs. Welcome to the podcast. We're here with our birthing series. I hope that you've been following along. If you haven't, be sure to go and catch all the other episodes. Today I'm here with Michelle Gano. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So Michelle, um, she has a fixer-upper class for parents, so I'm just going to introduce her and she can kind of elaborate more on what she does before she shares her birth stories. So Michelle has a special way of finding the good in each day, which inspires other people to do the same. She's a mom of three, a coach, an author, and a former teacher. Michelle created the Fixer Upper Parenting course, which helps parents go from just trying to get through the day to actually enjoying the childhood years with their kids, even if they're busy. She shares practical tools and activities that she has used with 100 plus kids as a teacher and with her own children, which helps families create meaningful memories together and build a childhood kids want to remember. Um, I, of course, went and creeped on your Facebook page and I loved some of the quotes that you put out there that I think it was maybe your son quoted saying like he feels so loved whenever he went to bed one night. You heard him whispering that to his baby sister, I guess. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was definitely a special moment. <laughs> yeah. Above all else, we want our kids to know that they are loved more than <laughs> I kind of like I try to give myself grace sometimes whenever I'm like, gosh, I was so hard on my kids today. But then I have to ask myself, but do they still know that they're loved? And, you know, if they'll know that they're loved at the end of the day, yeah. it kind of surpasses all of, you know, the trauma that we as parents might, <laughs> might put our kids through. Yeah. yeah um, and I think the special thing about that moment, too, was when I heard that, it's like he's saying what I say to him, to his little mm -hmm. sister now. And that's so cool because he's only three and a half. So it's just amazing how kids pick up on things like that so early on. Yes. And it's just a nice little way to pass a message on <laughs> with them yeah, just repeating is. what you're saying. It is. I think it's so important to cultivate the sibling relationships. And I see the same thing in my kids because a lot of times I see myself get frustrated, especially with, with the baby of like, oh my gosh, you know, we've just been nursing all day long. I haven't had a break or, you know, we're homeschooling and uh, things just get chaotic sometimes. I don't, what surprises me is that I don't see them get frustrated back. And so I'm like, okay, either I'm really hiding my frustration well, or I've done something to somehow cultivate that, you know, they, they just adore her. 
Yeah, I'm definitely seeing the same thing with my kids too. And it's been a relief because I wasn't sure what it would be like having the third one added to the mix, uh, yeah. especially with my kids being so young. But it's been so refreshing seeing just like the intense love <laughs> that they have. And I'm sure that's yeah. going to change. I'm sure there's going to be battles along the way. But for now, like if I bring the baby into the room, it's like immediate like magnet. <laughs> and it's yeah. like kisses on the baby. And it's just really cute. So for yeah. now, I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> Yeah, that's so sweet. So tell us a little bit about your Fixer Upper parenting courses. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I this has been just a compilation of so many things as a teacher and as a parent. And really, it stemmed from um, my son in particular. I was having a really rough phase with him and just behavior wise. And, and I was really struggling as a parent myself just with feeling burned out and just overwhelmed. And, um, and then all of a sudden, I was like, okay. Michelle, you taught, you've been with a lot of kids, you've done this before, what strategies did you use with them that you can now use at home? And so even if it's a different age group, you can still use those same concepts and activities. So all of a sudden, I just started jotting down all of these ideas that I used to use, and I just went crazy. And I started making them, using them with my own kids. And, uh, and then I just started putting it together and I was like, okay, this could definitely help other families too. Yeah. So it's my way of, since I'm not teaching anymore, it's my way of still passing along those little lessons that I taught in my classroom to families and at a, at a larger scale. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So many parents struggle with behavior issues nowadays. Um, I do, I have, mm -hmm parents, you know, I have a group of mamas where we can discuss that in a healthy way where we're constantly trying to be better parents. But then I've got some people that reach out to me and I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they just, they're like at a loss. Um, and, and then doctors are pushing yeah. medicine and, you know, things like that. So, um, what you're doing is definitely helpful and I know it's a great resource for parents. So y'all be sure to check her out. What's your website? It's fixyourupperparenting.com. All right. So let's dive into your natural births. You had three hospital births, but I especially yes. want you to, first of all, talk to us about as a first time mom, how you mentally prepared to have a natural birth, go all natural. What did that look like for you? Did you educate yourself before you went into birth? Kind of walk us through that process. Yeah, absolutely. So leading up to it, I don't know um, why I was so like drawn to just natural birth. And it wasn't even something that I was like, I have to have this. I have to have this. It was just something that I was like, I know my body is made for this. So yeah. there's got to be a way that it works and everything will be okay in the end. Exactly. So that was my approach. Um, and I was like, and, and I was pretty flexible with it. So I was like, if in the moment I'm feeling like I need something, I'll do it. But I was grateful that I didn't need something. So it all worked yeah. out like the ideal way that I was hoping, but, um, but I definitely gave myself some leeway. So, um, as far as educating myself, I really didn't do much education beforehand. I just really was trusting the process, trusting my body. And, um, and I'm trying to think of just examples as far as like, once I was in like one thing that I did, uh, the, 
when I called the doctor saying, okay, I'm feeling contractions. They're like, all right, get to the hospital right away. And I was like, okay. And then I hung up and I'm like, no, I'm going to stay home a little bit longer and I'm going to labor at home for a little while because I don't want to jump in. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to go right to the hospital. I'm sure I'm not going to give birth right here and right now. So, um, so I stayed at home for like a couple hours, honestly, and just labored at home. And I had the big ball, right? The big bouncing ball, just walking yeah. around and yeah. uh, things like that. So it, being intentional in that way was really helpful because then by the time I got to the hospital, it was like, oh, okay, I'm further along than they typically are like receiving people. So I think that that was really um, a smart move on your part. So I am curious why the doctors told you like, get to the hospital, like right now, get to the hospital. I don't know. That just in my mind sticks out to me because I guess you would think that they would maybe have even said, okay, well, what, how, what's the intensity or what are they feeling like coming from a midwife perspective and having home births? Their number one, you know, I guess gauge in how intense are the contractions is how obviously how close together are they? Are they lasting a whole minute long? And then mm -hmm. can you talk through the contractions? Um, and if you can't absolutely can't talk through the contractions, you know, then it's they they have a pretty good gauge of where you're at and how much longer you have mm -hmm. in labor. Obviously, every woman is different. But um, that's something that they coach us on, I guess. Yeah, I actually really love that you just said that too, because something that I struggled with being in a hospital was like my pain tolerance, I think is higher than what they're used to. So it was hard for me to gauge my pain because they were saying, okay, wait until, or they would say, okay, what was the intensity of course of the, yeah. um, of the contraction. So they did ask that they did inquire. It wasn't like, just get here. Um, but once I said, okay, they were a certain amount apart, then, um, then they were kind of like, okay, yeah, you can, you can definitely come into the hospital. And, um, but then the one fear that I had was I do have pain, good pain tolerance. So I was like, well, yeah. what, when you're saying come when it's too, like when it's too painful, I'm like, it's kind of bearable still for me. So that's a hard thing to gauge really. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a hard thing to gauge, but especially for a first time mom, a first time mom is like, we have this picture right. in our head. Exactly. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, to ask a first time mom that, or to ask a mom who's never felt natural yeah. um, labor pains, then, then, I mean, you know, we, mm -hmm. that's kind of an irrelevant question um, whenever we're constantly pumping moms full of medicine mm -hmm. or they're a first time mom, because you don't know what to expect. I remember when I felt my very first contraction, it was way lower down by my pelvis. And I was like, whoa, that's mm -hmm. not where I was expecting the pain to be. And then, you know, um, I was like, yeah, yeah I mean, definitely. it's already painful. So I rushed to the birthing center, you know, and I was there for 21 hours. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely hard to gauge, especially the first time. And honestly, even the second time, it was a little tricky because it's like, you don't know if it's going to be different because they say, okay, every birth is different. So it's like, yeah. all right, well, am I feeling it strong enough for this one? Like, is this going to be a little different? So it, it's definitely tough. You have to just kind of go with your gut, I guess, at that point. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I, unfortunately we have this, we have painted this picture for 
our Western culture that you have to get to the hospital quickly. It's likely that you'll have your baby in the car, you know, because labor, some, for some people, you know, we share the stories where labor either progresses really, really rapidly, or we share the, 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 just the extreme pain of it. And we don't, you know, we need to funnel this vision for moms that childbirth is natural. Um, you can handle the pain. Your body releases endorphins to help you manage the pain. Um, and in fact, you can work with your body when you do allow yourself to, to feel that pain. It's so refreshing hearing you say that too, because I feel like even when I was pregnant all three times, people immediately just jumped to like sharing an overly too much information, terrifying story. And it's like, but why are you sharing that with me? <laughs> like, yeah. You know? And so it's, it's refreshing to hear you say that because that was one thing that I did do in my labors. I would just tell myself this pain is temporary, this pain is temporary. Yes. And like literally repeat that out loud um, and have my husband tell it to me because oh. it is, it's like, as soon as that baby's out, yes, there's of course going to be certain level of, like discomfort, but that extreme pain goes away Yeah, pretty quickly, I would say, Yeah, right after. Right after, yeah. I love that, that you mentioned your husband um, was that he coached you through those moments of like, I even said that on one of the last podcasts, like you can do anything for one minute, right? And some contractions, they might last a oh, little yeah. bit longer than a minute, but some are going to last even less than a minute. And, um, when you have a good coach there, especially your husband, who is the one who is there to help you release the oxytocin hormone that you need, that is, I don't, I don't, I also don't think in our Western culture, we give our husbands enough credit that they can actually participate so much in the birth and help the baby get here. Yeah, absolutely. No, he, he knows his job. He knew, like he knew his role <laughs> and it was just That's to keep awesome. me at like the calm place that I was. So he had like the relaxing music going by my ear and he had um, the lavender essential oil, like literally on a rag <laughs> right under yeah. my nose. I was like, just keep it there and don't ask questions. And actually, I don't know why I just thought of this, but the first time the doctor just said, um, when they were doing that, they were like, the doctor was like, don't, oh, she doesn't need that. Get that away from mm -hmm. her face, hold her leg. And I looked at him and it must've been like a desk there. And I was like, you keep that by my nose. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I do need that. And wow. so it's funny. I just thought of that. Yeah. He definitely was a uh, active participant <laughs> as much as yeah. he could be. <laughs> yeah. And good for you for, you know, like not just being like, Oh, maybe I don't need it. And you were like, no, I need it. Stay here. Um, Cause you're, you're the mom. It's all about. Yeah. You. I know what I need. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, um, mm -hmm. so you, okay. So you said the doctor said that you're to hold your leg. So were you on your back? Were you, what was your laboring position in the hospital with all three of them? Yeah, it was on my back. Um, and that was something that I probably could have done a little bit more research on, uh, like looking back, but, um, just in the moment, that's what, that's what we just did, um, yeah. right away. And, but I have seen, like home births are different and they do different positions. So that's something that I could probably could have done a little bit more digging on beforehand yeah. to prepare in that way. 
Um, I saw one um, yesterday or this morning, and she was in the hospital, um, and she advocated for herself as she was in the hospital bed. She um, got up onto the hospital bed and, and delivered much like a home birth where, you know, she was on all fours and was able to deliver the way that she was just comfortable. A lot of times with all four of mine, it just... With the first one, the midwives did say, do you want to get into a squatting position? And so I did do that. I mean, here we were 21 hours. I was so exhausted. I had taught school that morning. So I had been up at 6 a.m. that morning. It was the end of the school year. So we were doing field days and I was chasing balloons all day. And then I went into labor at 10 o'clock at night. So yeah, so a 21 hour labor, but plus being up and chasing balloons for all that time. I was like exhausted. Yeah, that didn't help. Yeah. And so, um, he was kind of in a bad position. His head was a little bit tilted. And so it wasn't allowing like my cervix to go ahead and open the rest of the way up. And so once I finally got into that squatting position, it was like, that's when baby really, it was like, okay, I didn't, that's when my body began to push. And, but with my second, third and fourth ones, it was just like, I just, when it got to that moment of intensity, it was like, here I am, I'm stuck right here and I'm not moving. And this is where we're delivering the baby. <laughs> so help me because I, I read a statistic. We're going to talk a little bit more about statistics in this episode. Statistically, this was a statistic from 2017. So it may have changed, especially since we've gone through the pandemic, but 98.4% of women in America deliver their babies in a hospital. And so I don't come from that experience. I come from all home birth experiences, but I just hear, like we were talking about a second ago, we hear all of the bad in our Western society. So tell me when you got to the hospital, what were things that you did to keep move, labor moving along? Help, help us understand, especially for first time moms who are going into this blindly, what are things that they need to prepare themselves for, like the lavender oil to advocate for themselves? What are some things that they can do to labor peacefully in a hospital? What are some things that they can expect pushback on? What are, were you ever pressured for, I'm asking a lot of questions right here in this one segment, but were you ever pressured to um, take Pitocin? Were you ever pressured to get an epidural? All of those things. So I would say I was never pressured. They would, they would ask though. Um, so they would definitely ask about, especially the epidural and, um, and a few times, like, because they're asking your mind in that pain is like, maybe I do need it. Oh my gosh. Did mm-hmm. I not prepare? Like, can, yeah. like, can I do this? And, and then you're like, no, 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 no focus. They focus, they focus. So right. I would say the biggest prep going into a hospital birth is all mental work. <laughs> so it's all just like mentally preparing yourself for what you're comfortable leaning on a little bit and then what you're comfortable not like not wanting in a, yeah. in your birthing experience. So um, things things that are in your control are definitely like the two top ones that I loved was just like essential oil, like creating the environment that you want. So having yeah. someone supportive, whether that's like a spouse or even um, even the nurses are absolutely incredible in yeah. like all of my birthing experiences. I've just had amazing nurses. So just buttering them up to make them feel like they are amazing because they really have been amazing so that they give you that in like in um, return but that and then just the essential oil and the music I personally am a I I love music it calms me it 
hypes me up if I want it to. So whatever type, and actually I used two different types of music in two different births. So the first one I did super relaxing music, like literally piano and ocean waves. And then in this last birth, I was like, no, I want to go in like hyped. I want to really pump myself up for this and see if that changes anything. And it was kind of fun. So I was like, all right, let's make a playlist. And we did all like dance music. And it was so funny (laughs) because the the doctor was like, wow, what are you listening to? And I'm like, don't worry about it. You just focus down there. Because you said dance music. Yeah, so when um, like yeah. you, you said that, you know, 99% of birth per, it is mental um, and preparing for that birth and preparing for that natural. And I don't think that it would be wrong that when you get there, when you get those nurses to say, you know, if you're preparing for an all natural birth, like you said, when they would ask you for the epidural, it would almost cause this confusion. So I don't think that it's wrong to even tell them beforehand, don't even mention epidural to me. I will let you know if I need an epidural. Don't, don't ask me if I want pain medication. Yeah, I'll let I think you know that's if I want. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that at all and be assertive and be respectful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they should respect you back. But so you said dance music and how I prepared for this last birth. I told my husband one morning, I was like, the baby feels like it's dancing. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And so I said, it feels like the baby's dancing this morning. And I mean, the baby was just moving all around like crazy. I had him put his hand on my stomach. Well, that I went um, to have my quiet time with the Lord that morning. And I read this scripture that talked about, it was this word in some translation that taught it, it says to bring forth. And then in other, and then this particular translation that I was reading, it said, um, the Lord was there dancing over the earth whenever he brought it forth. And that word to bring forth also is to dance. And it was that very morning that I had told my husband, the baby's dancing. And so as I was like praying about my labor and going through stuff, I was, um, I just felt like the Lord, that was my word for labor was dance. And so I had downloaded a playlist that had worship songs with the word dance in it and stuff. I never did. Yes. I never did turn on the worship songs once labor actually started, but I had it prepared and I had listened to it beforehand. So every time a contraction would come, I would focus my eyes on Jesus and I would dance with Jesus every time a hard contraction would come. And that's what would get me through those minute, you know, those waves that would last for a minute there were even times where I lost my focus and I was so focused on the pain. And I remember like, so clearly the Lord was like, you're not dancing with me. And I was like, okay. And so I think that's amazing because you're, you were dancing during your labor. I was dancing during my labor on July 7th. Our babies were born on the same day. I think that's so literally cool. the same day. <laughs> I'm so glad the internet brought us together. Isn't that yes. amazing? Yeah, no, the second birth I did, um, kind of like an in-between, I did worship music. You know the radio station K-Love? Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah, so I had that playing the whole time, too. So that was like, all right, definitely in the mode <laughs> of birth, but um, that was my select music there. So I've, I've done a range of different types of music, which was fun. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. Um 
for for anyone who's not even thought of setting an atmosphere in their hospital room, it's so important because I've already said this in one of the last episodes, you have to set your atmosphere. It's just as important as preparing yourself mentally and the atmosphere that you need to create is an atmosphere that produces the love hormone oxytocin. So think of your atmosphere as a, a, a love making. <laughs> so you had all natural births meaning no pain medication. You went into labor on your own. You did not need Pitocin or epidurals or anything like that. The only thing that you said was that um, as you were pushing and as the baby was basically already there, they broke your water at that point, but baby was basically already here. And so really what that is is a physiological birth. And so when we talk about natural births, most women are saying, I want a pain-free birth. I mean, sorry, not pain-free, medication-free birth. I want to go all natural, meaning I don't want an epidural or pain medicine. But a lot of mamas are induced and then still thinking that they can handle that pain of induction and Pitocin. But a lot of times they're met with like, wow, I did not realize how intense Pitocin was going to be. And so, therefore, you know, they have this fear going into their second birth or, or maybe they just have a total like 180 of like, I absolutely will not be induced or, you know, I know what to expect now. So, um, a physiological birth, though, is a birth much like what you had and I've had where there's no interruptions during our birth. Mama is allowed to move throughout her labor. Mama is allowed to advocate for herself throughout labor. Mama's allowed to push when she feels the need to push, all of these things. And so I'm going to talk about that for just a second so that we understand what, as a culture what we mean between a natural birth and a physiological birth. Because I think most women are actually advocating for a physiological birth. But when they say natural birth, there's two totally different meanings. So um, this is from the National Library of Medicine. I think it's from the, the National like Library of Health, I think is also what it's under. So it defines physiological childbirth as a normal physiological labor and birth is one that is powered by an innate human capacity of the woman and fetus. This birth is more likely to be safe and healthy because there is no unnecessary intervention that disrupts normal physiological process. Obviously, some women um, and babies need will develop complications that warrant medical attention to assure safe and healthy outcomes. However, supporting the normal physiological process of labor and birth, even in the presence of such complications, has the potential to enhance best outcomes for mother and infant. Yeah, I the word that stood out was innate. So like the innate ability of the body. And that's seriously what I would always say. And I would always kind of joke. I would be like, animals don't do this with epidurals in their spines because I'm scared of the epidural. I'm like, I'm yeah. more scared of that thing going in my back than giving birth. So, um, so I'm like, needles, stay away. Birth, yeah. I can do. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I was like, it's, it truly is innate. And so yeah. I know it sounds crazy sometimes, but, um, but it's refreshing talking to you, like I said, to hear uh, that you agree with that because 
I, I can't describe it, but like, and well, you understand it because you've lived it. But when you're in that moment, like even this past birth, um, I had to just use the bathroom at one point. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, can I use the bathroom? And I went and, and I was like, I'm feeling like intense pressure going on. And, and they were like, all right, let's just check you out. And I was like, something's definitely stirring right now. And then all of a sudden I started to shake. And so that was the mm-hmm. transition point, yeah. right? And yeah. so I was like, okay, this is happening. And then she was like, oh my God, you're 10 centimeters. And I was like, all right, we're doing it, you know? Yeah. But I was like, I, I felt it. And so if you just trust your body, it's going to happen. And the push yeah. is, yes, you're enhancing the push, but it, your body is also helping you push, which is something that I didn't know going yeah. into birth. Yeah, neither do that. So, yeah, that's definitely just what I was thinking as you were reading that. Yeah, I love that. Um, Yeah, uh, that transition phase is when um, the reason that most women start to shake and need to get up and move and they start to almost act as if they need to, like, escape their own body and they might start freaking out a little bit. They don't know what's going on (laughs) because it's a rush of adrenaline that just like as in a marathon, you need adrenaline Mm -hmm. to finish the race. This is your body's way of providing that extra push for you to finish your race and finish bringing your baby into this world. Which is amazing that your body just naturally does that, right? Like that it's all part of the process, which is really cool. I'm going to read these like bullet points that is some from the same article that talks about a normal physiological birth and then also the factors that would disrupt a normal physiological birth. And I love what they pull out. I love that they pull out both sides of it. So a normal physiological birth is characterized by spontaneous onset and progression of labor. It includes biological and physiological, no, sorry, biological and psychological conditions that promote effective labor. So again, there is that um, mental preparation and as that atmosphere um, that your mind can relax, your body can relax and you feel comfortable during labor. It results in the vaginal birth of the infant and the placenta. That's important because a lot of a lot of mamas um, have their placenta forced out. Um, I've even heard of doctors inserting their hand and pulling it out when, man, the placenta will just come out on its own. The midwives will just ask me, hey, do you feel a little bit of cramping? Um, And when you feel that little bit of cramping, and usually I was like, no, I don't feel nothing. (laughs) But eventually I would just push, I mean, eventually I would just force myself to push and it would come out and the placenta comes out. And so anyways, it results in a physiological blood loss, so in other words, you don't lose too much blood, You're not, you don't hemorrhage, facilitates optimal newborn transition through skin-to-skin contact and keeping the mother and infant together during the postpartum period and supports early initiation of breastfeeding. That is so important. That's another thing that I had to learn. I had so much trouble nursing my first one. The second one, I, le- I learned so much about breastfeeding that I realized a baby's has the, um, they want to, like the, they have this innate, again, an an innate ability to have this high suction right after they're born. That's like the the best time for them to nurse and try to get latched on because they want to nurse big time right after they're born. Well, you know, a lot of times, um, especially if mamas are induced, baby's been in stress um, because 
Pitocin causes almost a constant contraction and you're not able to relax and baby's not able to get that relaxing part. And so the baby's rushed off because they've been distressed and then they don't get that immediate time to nurse whenever they are most prone to latching. Yeah. So it's funny. I had that similar experience. The first one, I didn't breastfeed right away and I honestly can't remember why. I was just holding, I think I was just so focused on the skin to skin and just holding him. Um, But with the second two, the second two were girls and both of them, I breastfed them right away because I guess I was just more comfortable and I I was like, I'm going to do it right away. And, um, and it worked out so well. They, and I had a better breastfeeding experience with both of them than I did with my son. And so it's interesting that you're saying that because I'm kind of putting that together now, just hearing you, uh, because I've Mm. seen that play out as well. Yes. And that's one thing that, you know, OBs and nurses, they're not trained in the lactation part of it. And so, you know, it just, they just kind of let it play out. There's lactation nurses that most hospitals Mm -hmm. can call upon if you want them. Um, But unfortunately, we're just naive to the breastfeeding side of it most of the time. And so that's extremely important and part Mm -hmm. of the physiological process. And so um, the following factors disrupt. So these are things that would warrant it to not be a normal physiological birth. So your your induction or augmentation of labor, an unsupportive environment, meaning bright lights, a cold room, lack of privacy, multiple providers that you're not comfortable with, lack of supportive companions. You can put your own thing in there that, you know, would just cause your environment to not be something that you feel comfortable in. Um, there might be time constraints. So, you know, you've, you've been told if you don't have your baby by this time, we're going to induce you. Or if you don't, if you don't have another contraction, see my contraction slowed down to 10 minutes apart with my last one. And so I'm sure at that point, and, and then she was born an hour later. So Probably if I would have been in the hospital, they would have told me, hey, you need Pitocin. And so they've given me, you know, they've given mamas this time constraint that if you don't have a contraction, as if they can control that or something, you know. So time constraints, including those driven by institutional policy and or staffing. And so that's another thing for moms and dads and the support, your your support team needs to know like you don't have to follow protocols and policies are not the law you can say no to them and you can stand up against them again with you know with respect and dignity nutritional deprivation meaning in labor you're not allowed to eat or drink so if you're hungry or you need something to drink and they tell you you can't have it you need to advocate for it you need it your body needs fuel to finish the race, right? Mm-hmm. Opiates, regional anal, an, analgesia, I'm going to like totally butcher that word, or general anesthesia, episiotomies, um, operative vaginal or abdominal cesarean births or vacuums or forceps, immediate cord clamping. So immediate cord clamping is not a part of physiological birth. You want to, I, I just learned this recently that the placenta holds 33% of the baby's blood. So when we immediately cut the cord on babies, they're losing 33% of their blood that they would normally, it would normally replenish back into their body if you delay cord, cord wow. clamping. Mm-hmm. I thought that was 
incredibly insane. That's really interesting. I thought it was too. And the fact that we have that knowledge, but yet still immediately clamp the cord, um, is it's kind of heartbreaking. Right. That's very odd. Yeah. And then the mm-hmm. last one, it says any situation in which the mother feels threatened or unsupported. So that's extremely important, again, for that mental state for mama to be able to continue to produce the hormones that she needs during birth. Because you cannot produce oxytocin if you're try- if your body is producing a stress hormone. Yeah, absolutely. I was jotting some down, and one that I was thinking about when you said it was the bright lights. Because that's one thing that the hospital has such bright lights. And especially right when the birthing starts, it's like Uh, a freaking spotlight comes out like right there. And I'm like, is this necessary? But you're so in the zone at that point that I like, I blocked it out. So you don't even see or hear anything like that, at least in my experience. But that was one that stood out when you said it. No, I'm just really uh, grateful that I got to speak with you and got to meet you. Yes. Um, Yes. Just the connection that we have. I know. I'm amazed at the dance thing. (laughs) I know, me too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, cool. And that so, actually on the dance note, and then we will wrap it up for your sake. Yeah. But um, on the dance thing, uh, one thing that I have in my course that I just love is like just bringing a fun, um, a fun moment into every day. And this mm. is kind of off the topic of birth, but just with kids in general. And because every day is so stressful and we just feel like we're just trying to get through it. And one thing that I did was I always find um, like the most stressful point of the day, which is for me, like preparing dinner and going into that like night witching hour (laughs) of all the kids. And so um, in that place, what I do is I actually, we do a little dance party in the kitchen every day around like 4.30. And so it's really fun. And um, so it kind of ties in our little dancing theme. But, yes. uh, but it just kind of gets their energy out. And then it's like, all right, dance to the table. It's dinner time. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I might need to incorporate that. <laughs> yeah, it honestly makes a difference even for yourself. Like just if you just take even five minutes and just do a quick little dancing with the kids, your day turns around. And that's what I noticed for myself, too. Even when I was yeah. crabby, I would do it. And I would be like, oh, OK, mm. I feel refreshed as well, Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. important. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for sharing your birth stories with us. Thank you for um, reaching out to me. Y'all reach out to her through her website. I'm sure they can find you on Facebook. They can find you. Are you on Instagram? Yep, I'm on Instagram. So that's my most common one. So it's Fixer Upper Parenting. Uh, So you can find me there and message me. I'd love to just connect with anyone uh, from your audience. Thank you again so much for sharing your birthing story with us. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Barefoot Parenting. If what you're doing works for you, is healthy for your family, and is growing you in the ways you need to grow, then it's time to step out of the feeling of guilt and shame and wear your Barefoot Mama badge proudly. Remember, barefoot parents are doing things differently, so be encouraged today if you're feeling the pushback in your parenting style. You're doing something right.